Hey, I'm Markia. Want to hear something scary? If you love Halloween and all things scary, make sure you tune into the Something Scary podcast every week. Come join me as I read the creepiest urban legends, folk tales, and ghost stories from my friends, family, and listeners like you. And we've got a special treat for you this Halloween. So check in with us on that spooky day to whet your appetite for horror. Until then, follow Snarled on social media. We're counting down 13 days of Halloween with 13 of Something Scary's most haunting tales. Subscribe to the Something Scary podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Some ghost stories are real. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town. We are so close to Halloween, I can feel it. We are recording this in Echo Park. We are amongst old Victorians, East Lake style homes. We're right Everyone, near the Thriller House. Where we they, are a block from the Thriller House. Yeah. So there's you can a see lot that of history. In my, uh, we, I'll put it one up on Ghost Town Pod, and there's mm-hmm. one on the Jason Horton. Yes. On Instagram. So you can check if you want to see what the Thriller House looks like now. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty close. It's, it's very just, close. Uh, I, I had no idea until just recently. Really? Yeah. Oh, you should take my Echo Park haunted true crime tour next time haven't i taken it through this podcast at this point it's true you live it you live it and you work for it that's true but yeah i I have a lot of great uh homes right where i live uh the fast and the furious house is here uh parts of chinatown the charmed house the thriller house there's so many incredible pieces of uh film and tv history la history right here and this neighborhood goes pretty crazy the houses are really decorated. They're they look creepier than usual, which is hard to do because they're already like creepy ass rickety Victorian homes. But this area really celebrates Halloween, and so do we. And we're we're you know we're it's it's we're channeling it. It's mm-hmm. channeling us. Exactly, exactly. There's a guy uh, next door who just had a coffin in his yard, and I was like, oh, this is for Halloween. That's spooky, and that was there till like April. So like, that's the place where I am at. But we are so excited to bring to you a very special episode of ghost town never we've never done this before we've never this is very off protocol so buckle up you guys we so much of what we do is storytelling i think so much of the places that we talk about it's about the stories that make the place and that color the place and that make it really compelling to to research ourselves but we also have a lot of friends who actually have encountered creepy, strange, unexplained things. Especially as long as, you know, we've been at least doing this and you probably mm-hmm. have more than I, I do because you give haunted tours and mm-hmm. so forth is when people have their own stories. They're yeah. like, oh, I have this story. Yeah. And um, we haven't been able to do anything with them yet. We haven't either. And I, listen, a lot of my stand-up, I had a show uh, for a long time. It was about haunted things. And I have a lot of, yeah, material that I would do. And then people, the best part about having a haunted material is that people would come up to you after the show and be like, I have this scary story. I have this thing. So, we just like amassed all of this and I'm so excited to share this with you, especially because these are uh, a very old friends of ours that are very sane, very funny people. A lot of them are in entertainment. They're comedians like us and they're sharing these things that they 
are have, have either never shared before or have a couple of times and are like, oh, what's this going to ha- do or happen? But getting these stories out to a wider audience is going to be very fun. And pretty good chance that this is the first time you'll be hearing them. Yes, absolutely. So grab a mug of hot cocoa, uh, turn down the lights, and we're going to tell you five very spooky stories that you can enjoy for this Halloween and all the Halloweens to come. Our first story is from my dear friend, Macklin McLouie. His Twitter is Macklin Mac, M-A-C-K-L-E-N-M-A-K. He's the co-producer of Thread Corner Podcast, which I've guested on. He's an incredible actor, improviser, and one-time owner of a very horrifying, very haunted Ford Focus. What you're about to hear is a haunted car story, not unlike Stephen King's Christine, except my story is going to be much, much, much better than the movie version, possibly on par with or a little worse than the book, because Stephen King is a genius, and I'm just going to tell you what actually happened to me. My wife and I bought a 2007 Ford Focus in March of 2007. And almost immediately after buying it, we bought it from the dealership from Sunrise Ford in North Hollywood. Almost immediately after buying it, it started causing problems. My wife was the primary driver of the car and she would come home telling me weird stories about things that she was experiencing while driving. I believed my wife. I believed her experiences. I believed that she thought these things were happening, but they were so weird, I couldn't help but subconsciously dismiss them. She would tell me things like she would have sensations of her hair being pulled, and she would adjust her hair, thinking maybe it was getting caught in the headrest. But sure enough, it wasn't. She just felt a tugging at her hair. She also would say that she would hear the crumpling of plastic bags right behind her ear. And of course, not only were there no plastic bags behind her ears, there were none to be found in the entire back seat. Even things as simple as adjusting the rearview mirror, she would do it, and as soon as she put her eyes back on the road and glanced back up again, the mirror would be exactly where it had just been, position-wise. In addition to all these weird things while driving, I admit the car was doing finicky things on its own. The alarm would go off all the time, completely unprompted, sometimes in the middle of the night, and it would wake us up. Um, The trunk was weird as well. You know, you would... uh, pop it open and it would still be locked, or you would close it, get in the driver's seat, and it would pop back open. But I attributed these to just finicky, funky, glitchy things with a car that was proving to be a bit of a lemon. These problems persisted for my wife for weeks. It was nothing egregious enough where we would take it back to the dealership and complain, you sold us a haunted car. We would feel so silly doing that, and yet we didn't enjoy owning the car because it was so weird. One day, I borrowed the car to go to work, and this is where my perspective changed. It was my first time driving the car alone, 
and I was stopped at a red light when I suddenly felt what I can only describe as two fingers, two forefingers, an index and a middle finger. It felt like they were braced together, digging into the small of my back. This was not a muscle spasm. This was something I felt from outside of my skin, an external force pressing, digging into my back. I jumped out of the driver's seat. I mean, I was still driving. I was still in the car. My, uh, my legs were anchored by the pedals, but my hips like leapt up towards the steering wheel in fear. I immediately, as soon as I could, drove the car over to the side of the road, and that's when I leapt out of the car, looking back in to see what wild animal, was there a squirrel loose in my car? What could have done this? There was nothing. I mean, there was nothing in my car. There was nothing living in my car that I could see, especially now that I had left my car and was outside of it. I don't know what that was that poked me in the back, but something or someone definitely poked me in the back, and it freaked me out. It was hard enough to get back in the car just to drive to work. That night, on my way home from work, I hadn't told my wife the story yet. I was going to. But on the way home from work, I remember trying to have a standoff with the ghost. And I said aloud as I'm driving, Ghost, if you are here and you can hear me, give me a sign. And before I could finish the word sign, I panicked, realizing I don't want to know the answer to this. And I immediately said, never mind, never mind, never mind. Uh, don't, don't tell me, don't tell me, I don't want to know. Because, my gosh, if I had finished that sentence and the windshield wipers started going crazy, I would never have been able to drive the car again. So I get home, I tell my wife the story, and we both realize, I mean, she obviously is gratified to know that I know what's going on with the car now firsthand. And uh, we continue to drive the car. Nothing ever weird happened to me like that. But she continued to have the same problems for the next several weeks. Fast forward about a month later, we're watching the 11 o'clock news, and they're doing a story on ABC7 here in Los Angeles about a ghost hunter who uses her digital voice recorder to go to cemeteries and find ghosts of children. She claims that she can't hear their voices in the moment, but when she plays back what her digital voice recorder captured, she can hear the voices of children playing. My wife and I looked at each other and our jaws collectively dropped. Because what I haven't told you yet is that we bought this car used from the dealership. And a day or two after getting it home, we found under the driver's seat of the car, a digital voice recorder. Obviously, we assumed it belonged to the previous owner. I'm an actor, and I thought, oh, this would be a useful gadget to have to memorize my lines for an upcoming project that I'm in. So, I, I, and by the way, I had played the digital voice recorder when I first found it, and this is prior to us realizing that a ghost was in the car. And the contents of the digital voice recorder were pretty inconsequential. 
it sounded like a, a man's voice loosely narrating his day. It sounded like he was in a grocery store just describing things that he was seeing. I didn't feel like listening to the entire contents of it, and I deleted it. It was almost immediately after finding this digital voice recorder that the problems with the car started to happen. It's almost as if by removing the digital voice recorder, we had taken something from the ghost and maybe it was acting out because it wanted returned to it what it once owned, what I took from it. This digital voice recorder belonged to the ghost and maybe it just wanted its toy back. It obviously wasn't a malicious ghost. Because if it were, it could have steered our car off of a bridge. It was trying to get our attention. It was nagging at us. It wanted something. So we decided the right thing to do was to delete everything that I had put on the voice recorder and return it to under the driver's seat where I found it. It did occur to us that we could record the sounds from the car overnight and then listen to it the next day but we both agreed that we would be too afraid to listen to that and then continue to own the car if we heard anything nefarious. So, we put this digital voice recorder back under the driver's seat and left it there, as if it was a crucial part of the car's engine that we had restored. And I promise you, and I am not exaggerating, the problems with the car stopped. This is about, I don't know, maybe eight months after owning the car, maybe six months. Six months of ghostly encounters, ghostly happenings, inexplicable problems with the car. But by returning that digital voice recorder to under the driver's seat, all those problems stopped. No more hair pulling, no more mirrors been readjusting. No more crinkling sounds, no more getting poked. The alarm was behaving and not going off at random times. And even the trunk of the car stayed closed when we closed it, and it opened when we opened it. We drove the car ghost-free for a year and a half. And then one day, again, I was driving the car alone. I got rear-ended at a traffic light. And when I got out of the car to assess the damages, exchange insurance information, I didn't think to check where the digital voice recorder was or to make sure it was intact. But when I got the car back from the body shop, a week later, the voice recorder was gone. I don't know if it somehow disappeared in the accident. I can't imagine how that would happen. It wasn't a high-speed collision. Uh, I called the body shop and asked if they had found it. They said they didn't know what I was talking about. They apologized, but had no, had no awareness of a digital voice recorder being located. And wouldn't you know it, the car alarm was never the same again. We actually had to take it back to the dealership and pay to get it uninstalled because it was finicky. But it's almost like that digital voice recorder leaving. It was returned, maybe, into the ether 
I don't know what happened to it. If it dematerialized, if it disappeared, if somehow it found its rightful home. But the only, the only remnants of the ghost after we lost sight of that digital voice recorder was the alarm. And once we had that disconnected, our, our car was returned to a normal, non-ghostly condition. Stephen King, if you're listening to this and you want to option my story, my only request is that you get the original cast of Christine to reenact every last moment. This next story comes from model, tall person, <laughs> very high credit score, mm-hmm. Ghost Town podcast co-host Jason Horton. It's me, Rebecca. What? It's me. And oh a, a little backstory with this one since I'm here. And I've had this for a while. This is actually me asking my mother about a haunted story. Ooh, haunted interview. And this is, you know, we, you know, we've been doing Ghost Town for a bit. And she's like, oh, did you ever talk about the little girl in the yellow dress? And my <sighs> blood ran cold immediately. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, you know, the little girl that was haunting our house when we lived in New Jersey. And I was, you know, I don't know how old I was, maybe mm-hmm. like, I would have to say I was like six or seven. Mm-hmm. And it's something that my uh, stepfather encountered. My mother never mm-hmm. encountered it. He did. So you'll, you'll hear when I talk to her about it, I ask her a lot of the uh, questions. It was like kind of a, my relationship with my stepfather was not very good in mm-hmm. all the ways you probably think about, but even with that, I wanted to kind of know and kind of, I would ask things like, you know, is, is he somebody that like, oh, we saw a ghost every five minutes? Because if yeah. not, I don't want to, you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. Like, let's, I get it. But it was it. a very isolated two incidences. And my mother is not a, you know, she's not a... She's not a ghost person. Not at all. She she's very matter of fact. Abducted. No, she's yeah. very matter of fact about things. So for her to tell this, it, you know, she was just very mm. uh, forthcoming about it. And, I found, and I've had this, so I've... We, I never knew what to do with it, and now we finally found a home for it. A home. So this is the story of the little girl in the yellow dress. Well, we lived in the house in Maywood. And it's, I don't know if you remember that house, remember it. I, I do, yeah. To Kupo. Okay, so Peter was very sensitive to the supernatural, and so was his mother. And we were sitting in the living room, and it looked into the hallway. To the right was the bedroom where Jennifer and Michelle slept, and then to the left was the master bedroom, and then your bedroom was kind of through the master bedroom on the end. You had to walk through the master bedroom to get to the little bedroom you were in while we're sitting on the couch. And all of a sudden, like the hair just stood up on his arms. And he says, do you, do you see the little girl? He says, the little girl in the yellow dress. And I'm like, what little girl? He says, she just walked down the hall into the girl's room. And I'm like, there's no little girl. He says, I'm telling you. He says, the little girl just walked down. So I got up and I went into, you know, Jennifer and, and uh, Michelle's room. But of course, I don't see nothing because you kind of have to have a, a sense you know, if you don't believe or you don't have that ability, then you don't see anything. So I look all over. There's no little girl nowhere. You no, know, sit back down. I'm like, I, I, I can just see anything. I 
too much of a shadow or whatever. So we sit there some more, and all of a sudden the little girl comes back, walks back down the hallway again, and now he's really freaking out. He's like, there she is, there she is, there she is. So that kind of ended that. And then when we moved to move up to uh, New Windsor... So he, ne- he never, br- he never brought it up again or had any other sightings? No, he didn't have any other sightings, you know, other than he saw this little girl in a yellow dress. And so how much time then, passed since he, since that event until we move? I would say um, we were only there for a couple of years, so I would say maybe, maybe a year went by. And it's, it's not and like he did this, this was like an all-the-time thing where he's always seeing things? This was no, isolated? No, no, but he did, but he did say that the, the, the girl was very happy in the house. That she was, she was a good spirit. She was a happy spirit. She was good. She wasn't bad. And um, then we went to move, and we had everything in the car. We were getting the last stuff out, and he went back in the house just to check to make sure we had everything. And he heard the girl crying. He says she. He came out. He says she's crying in there. I'm like, what? He says, I'm telling you, she's crying because we were leaving. So she obviously. Um, might have died in the house or something trapped her in that house and she was happy when we were there and then she cried when we left and and this is I'm telling you this he said this he said she's crying and he was and he was he, as he, when you when he was saying it he he believed it that he saw this. oh yeah oh no definitely no it was definite it was not you know, I think I'm hearing things. It wasn't like there was a cat in the house. No, he he sees this, and his mother was the same way. His mother could like see things happening, like when he was a, a, like a teenager, he was out with his friends, and the mother woke up. And, you know, like she was asleep. She woke up at one o'clock in the morning. She went and gathered up all kinds of stuff, like six, six cuts. You know, right. like bandages and and clean, you know, basin of water and blah, blah, blah. And she sat at the kitchen table and she waited for him to come in and he was in a very bad fight. So she, he, she, I mean, there's obviously no way for him to communicate that before he got home. So she knew that. She knew it. So the two of them were very uh, sensitive to, you know, stuff. Was there more episodes, like, was there more occurrences like that, go, you know, after moving from New Jersey, from Maywood to New York? Was was that a regular thing, or was this isolated? Um, you never saw any more ghosts. You know, the house in New Winter was brand new, so there would be no reason for... Him to, like, be sensitive to that? Supernatural or, right. people to be in there, you know, and it wasn't built on top of a cemetery or anything, so there would be no ghosts. This house in Maywood was a very old house. It was probably built, like, like in the 20s. So something happened in that house with this girl. And, and she was, like, trapped in there. So uh, she said maybe she, she was little, like 10 or something? Eight, yeah, ten, she was little, in a, ye- in a yellow, yellow dress. Yellow dress in the house. Yeah. Um, uh, was it, what was the and address? The, the, the address of the, the house? Uh, 
Oh, I don't remember. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's something I could probably look up. Because uh, yeah, I remember, I, I remember knowing. Because yeah, because it was down the street from the school, right? Yes, it was right next to right next to Jeffrey Coupo. It was off Maywood Avenue. Yeah. But I, I don't know the name of the street. I bet you I, I know I'll know it if I if I see it. Like I'll know it if yeah. I hear it uh, or you know see it on a map or something like that. Because I want to go and see you know because now you know what did we that was the you know years ago. So now with that the, was the nineteen nineteen seventy nine. Seventy nine, yeah. Because I remember that. I remember being in the room, and I just can't remember if it was Jeffrey's house or our house. Um, but I remember being in a bedroom, uh, so I want to look at, I want to find the address, look it up, and see if anyone yeah, there, died there. Yeah, because... like you, the, you walked in, and the living room was in the front, and then it had a dining room in the kitchen, almost like shotgun was in the back, and it had stairs going down to a basement, Yeah. and then it had like a little porch off the back, into a little backyard, with a little garage. Yeah, I know, I, I can see, and, I can kind of see it, like I can, you know, I can, I can kind of... Uh, yeah, there's like that. a little picnic table out in the back there. I think it was a picture of Pop How long were we? How long did did we all live there in total before moving? Um, I would say we moved in eighty. And we moved uh, probably in, um, like maybe, maybe two years, maybe seventy-nine to eighty. Okay, so about a less than two maybe, years. Maybe, yeah, I would say two years. And how far in did he see, uh, you know, uh, see the little girl? How far what? Like how long? How long after we had moved in did he did he did he see her? Do you think? I would say it was probably six months. Okay. But I mean, his hair on his arms stood straight up. And when you, so, by looking at him, he—you were just like, uh, whether you believe in that or not, you believe that he believed it. I I know he believed it. Yeah. I know he saw it. I know it. Was he upset nobody, or was nobody, he shocked? Because you said like he's like kind of you know he had kind of had like susceptible to you know whatever. I, I think he. I think he was. Like surprised, but he wasn't scared. Um, no, he wasn't scared. He, he, um, no, he, he just uh, was like surprised. But he, I think he freaked out initially, you know, because like I said, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. So both of our moms have made appearances on Halloween seasonal ghost town episodes. Oh. It's not the first time we've mentioned our parents, but no, we mentioned our parents a lot. But but yeah, my mom talked about meeting Janice Joplin. Joplin, Yeah, your your mom talks about seeing ghosts willy nilly. You know, that's amazing. Um, Okay, let's uh, let's go to Portland, shall we, for our next story? Let's uh, let's get get back to the West Coast here for a second. Portland is a is a place where I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah, it's definitely you can wanted. see it, right? That Pacific Northwest shit. Come on now. We have Virginia Jones. She's a writer, comedian. Go to her website, bedinia.com, B-A-D-I-N-I-A. Download her album, Gothic American. It is hilarious. She's an incredible stand-up. I've had her on my show many times. And she's going to tell 
a story about a particular Portland ghost. Hey, this is Virginia Jones, and this is a real ghost story from Portland, Oregon, where I'm from. I used to have a house in Portland, and it was in an up-and-coming neighborhood, you know? Uh, When I left, there was a fancy brunch place that, as soon as they sat you down, they would just put a basket of scones on the table. No questions asked. You could technically get free coffee and scones and just leave, but you wouldn't because that's against, you know, brunch code. And what had been there before was this ancient bar where they would do something on the weekend that was technically breakfast. It was just frying whatever they had. And you could sit and eat it while smelling alcohol from 50 years soaked into the wood. Um, So that was the neighborhood. It was gentrifying. And uh, my next door house had been rented to a few groups of people. But then the, the owner put some real money into renovating it and he sold it. And a single woman uh, moved in. And, you know, I tried to introduce myself to her a couple times, uh, seeing her walking by, but she always seemed really tired and upset and, you know, just not that friendly. And um, when a friend looks upset, it's okay to say, hey, are you okay? Like, how can I help you? But when it's a stranger, it's too embarrassing to say, hey, you seem fucked up. Uh, unhappiness is embarrassing. So I mostly avoided her. Um, She just never seemed to be in a mood for a chitty chat. And I didn't see her that much anyway. Uh, After a couple months, it's spring. And I'm walking by and I see her in front like planting flowers. And she looks like a different person. Her color's great. Um, And I went over to say hi and introduce myself. And we talked about all the really boring stuff people talk about who have nothing in common except for living next to each other and uh, the brunch place and everything. And finally I I tell her, I'm like, man, I'm sorry, this isn't my business, but you look so happy and different. Um, I'm glad you're feeling better. And she she looked at me and she said, yes, I'm much better. Uh, And she said, "Um, my house, I bought it and it was haunted. The first night I slept there, this man appeared and beat the shit out of me. And I said, Jesus, did you call the cops? And she's like, no. I mean, because I, when I turned the light on, he was gone. And the cops don't come out for ghosts. I'm like, that that seems true. Um, and she said it happened the second night too. And just over and over, like every night for months, I would try to sleep and this ghost would appear and beat the shit out of me. And I said, wow, that sounds bad. Because what else do you say, you know? Um, she said, well, first I thought I'd sell the house. Or find out if I could cancel the scale, sale. Because, like, it's kind of fucked up they sold me a haunted house, right? Like, you know, the renters had to know. The owner had to know. Uh, surely there's a clause somewhere, you know? But then she thought, what if the next people who move in have a kid or someone who can't take any action or defend themselves? And I just thought I'd better take care of it myself. So I found this exorcist, and um, she cleaned... She, she cleaned the area, you know, she cleansed my bedroom and she smudged and did stuff and boom, like that was it. The ghost is gone. And I'm finally enjoying my house and I'm settling in and planting these flowers and it's, oh God, it's such a relief. But I do, I have to get rid of some furniture because it's getting a little crowded. And I said, uh, isn't it a, you're in a, you're in a two-story house by yourself. Is it crowded? She said, oh, um. I could only, the exorcist was expensive, you know, and I have a mortgage and everything. So I could only really afford to have her do the first floor. 
So I'm assuming the ghost has just moved upstairs. And I just, I just don't go up there. I just stay on the ground floor. And I said, okay. But, uh, lady, I hope you got to smudge the rest of your house. And to everybody else, happy Halloween. Want to take a little break? I would like that. And then we'll come back for more scary stories. MeUndies is here to change your underwear. Not literally. They believe undies should be soft, fit every booty like it was made for every booty, and offer fun patterns that give you the freedom to express yourself. So right now, MeUndies is giving you 20% off your first order by going to tiny.cc forward slash MeUndies. Again, for 20% off your first order of MeUndies, the most comfortable underwear in the world, go to tiny.cc forward slash MeUndies. That's M-E-U-N-D-I-E-S. The scariest story of them all is the story of patreon.com slash ghost town pod, where there's many bonus episodes ready and waiting for you. There's Halloween based ones. Log in at the stroke of midnight and give us your credit card information. Or now. (laughs) Actually do it. If you don't, you'll be cursed. Yeah. You'll be cursed with money. (laughs) And and time. Exactly. A couple disappointed middle-aged Jews. You'll get bonus episodes. It helps us. You know, we spent a little, especially on the Roosevelt episode, we spent some money on. Pretty penny, because we we got the best for you. Yes. Okay. Getting there to baby parking. Baby likes the nicest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ghost Town Baby likes the nicest things. Yeah, you're making it nice and weird. That's good. <laughs> Why not? It's, it's Halloween. Yeah. What, are you dre- just real quick? Are you just real quick? Are just you dressing real. up for as anything? Um, I don't know. I usually my go-to costume for many years was a reverse mermaid, which is a fish on the top, mm-hmm. lady on the bottom, which is very fun. But oh, I, had I remember to, that. Yeah. Yeah, I had to construct the headpiece though, and yeah. it. Inevitably, I would get wasted and it would get crushed somewhere in a giant Wilton house that I used to live in. Got a little disgusting. Um, So I don't think I'm going to do that this year. Often, um, you know, I'll do, uh, what's his name from The Room? Um, Oh, God. Tommy Wiseau? Yeah, I'll be Tommy Wiseau. Just a black wig and an ill-fitting suit. It's pretty easy, you know. But who's to say? How about you? Um, I'm going to be a sexy President Taft. And you're thinking, and I was like, you're like, he was already sexy. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, you'll see. Uh No, I'll probably uh, more. I'll I'll probably just be, I'm probably just back now from uh, Philadelphia, New York and New Jersey, Mm -hmm. where I did some recon Mm. uh, or we'll be doing some recon on future episodes. Well, well, sometimes I like to be on location for you. God, we work for you. You know, everything we do. How about another... How about another scary story? Can you it ready? be spooktacular this time? It's going to give you a spookgasm. <laughs> you really shoehorned <laughs> that one in there. <laughs> okay, so the next uh, story is uh, one of my favorites. They've also been on my show. They are dear friends of mine, and they're also a married couple telling a story together. Uh, Stacy Dasho is an incredible artist and writer who's written for Paper, Bust, The Rumpus, Alley Review of Books, The Owl. She's an incredible painter. Alan McLeod is an actor, writer, and comedian who's on You're the Worst, Parks and Rec, Comedy Bang Bang. They are going to take us to Hawaii. What? I thought everything in Hawaii was just enchanted. and It is enchanted, but it's also that freaking sense. spooky. Yeah. Our 
spooky story begins on the big island of Hawaii in an area called, do you remember? Pahoa? Pahoa. And um, we were staying on a beautiful little palm tree reserve and it was a lovely place, a magical place. And so we, uh, it's recommended to us to go check out uh, uh, Uncle Richard's Night Market, which um, is like a farmer's market at night with music and food. And and joyous gathering and and artisans and... All that kind of stuff you kind of want from a trip in, when you're at, in Hawaii. And uh, it's on a Wednesday night, which doesn't seem uh, that spooky no, on paper. No, no, no. But, but it was quite spooky for quite us. Quite spooky to us. So we're enjoying the night market. And um, it's it's actually the crazy thing about the night market is that it it is um, it sits on top of a a lava flow from a volcanic eruption in the 80s. So this just kind of adds to the magic atmosphere. Yeah, it feels like you're in outer space or something. Um, when it's at night and you can see all the stars and it's it's and just smooth, really, really cool. rock, lava. And, uh, and um, so we're, we're eating and listening to music and we, we actually met uh, the, nep- the nephew of Roscoe of Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. That's right. He said that he just had to make waffles and chicken once a week at this night market, and it was enough money to help him survive for the rest of the week. Yeah, he seemed to have and, a great uh, life. And could there, surf Frankie. and uh, hang out, party. Yeah, he seemed it was like great. he was living the life. Living the dream. He um, was such a cool guy. I was like, we should name this unborn child in my stomach, Frankie. Oh my gosh. But then we didn't. Right. we didn't. But we thought about it. it. It was close. Switched That's how much up. of an impression he yeah, made. Yeah, he was great. And then I accidentally like let the syrup bottle slip out of my <laughs> hand, and I dumped it all over his little counter station. And, and he was very cool about it. Very cool. But anyway, um, so we <laughs> were leaving um, the, 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 party. The, the joyous night market uh, party and heading mm-hmm. back away from the, the lava flow. And, and he on, went from being very loud to very, very quiet. quiet. The road to Uncle Richard's night market is, or which depending which one you take, the one we took, is kind of like a coastal little Windy, uh, woodsy, foresty road. Woodsy. Um, with no banyan trees, really. big droopy like pitch banyan black. trees, just just uh, just just lining it with little family graveyard plots and stuff along the way. You can almost way. imagine the faces in the tree trunk at night. Mm. It's one of those trees that, you know, probably has a face <laughs> buried in there. And uh, so we're driving back at night and the and the the street is very hilly so that the the headlights kind of bounce like a roller like coaster as you, as you as you go and they kind of you know we were we were we were um laughing and carry on and imagining like you know what if a person is just standing in the oh, road wouldn't gosh. that be so scary a woman what if it was a crazy woman and then lo and behold there was a young woman uh, standing along the side of the road, and our headlights kind of landed, and then and there she was. And we screamed and so screamed scared. our heads off because it was real and it was happening. So there scared. was really a woman there, and she was Wearing, very calm. Uh huh. Just with her hands by her side in a very creepy way. She was not. She was next, standing next to an old broken yeah. down car, or I guess it was broken down. The headlights. She were wasn't off. trying to scare us. She wasn't like bloody and like ah. You know, she right. was very if relaxed. If she was bloody, she would have been trying to scare us. <laughs> But she, she was, was very relaxed. She wasn't waving us down. Her for face help. was very she didn't calm. Seem to need, she didn't seem to need assistance. <laughs> she didn't throw herself on our hood. None of that. But it was spooky. 
because she had an old timey dress on. It was like an old timey white dress. of another world, and she didn't have shoes on. And uh, she seemed to be like a native Hawaiian, and so anyway, but because she wasn't didn't seem in distress particularly, just kind of a neutral, spooky kind of like look. She was just watching our car as we passed by, very calmly. We just thought that was the scariest thing, and we just screamed and just kind of kept on going. You know, um, so anyway, uh, the, the next day we're like looking it up. We're doing a little research just to, I don't like see if like Stacy was you were looking up cults and stuff. Well, I thought maybe the logical thing instead of a ghost, like maybe it's a cult. Maybe she's just kind of, you know, a woman that's a part of this mm-hmm. gathering, like um, some rainbow bridge occult thing or some sort of. Oh, searching for uh, something, and I was looking. I was looking at stuff about the goddess of fire and volcanoes, Pele, which is a Hawaiian deity. And um, I, I didn't like. I wasn't thinking that's what this was. I mean, I don't know. She just was described a little differently, wearing a red dress and whatnot. Blah blah blah. We cut to a few days later when we've now we've now gone to we've we've left the palm tree reserve and we're now in a town called Hilo, which is on the east side of the ta- of the island. And it's it's very a, rainy in Hilo, yeah, and also very beautiful, beautiful. and just a great place if you want to swim with sea turtles. Rainy. Like, it's almost a guarantee you can swim with some sea turtles over there. Um, they look at you, and they smile. Yeah, or that might just be how their mouths look. But anyway... That's not the, scary. The, um, the this scary is thing the scary was thing. We, we went on uh, one night... We went on a ghost tours of Hilo um, excursion. We were and, very excited uh, about this ghost tour. We hadn't done a ghost tour in a while, and we love ghost tours. We love ghost tours because they're a little, a little spooky and look, a little history is involved, mm-hmm. too. So a splash of it we all. get there, and we're the only people on the tour. It's just us two. Yeah, and it was raining, and the tour guide kept calling us, being like, Hey, are you guys still coming on the tour? It's raining. And we kept going, yeah, we're going to be there. We got our rain jackets. We're going to do it. And he's like, okay. He was like, you know, because we're going to have to leave, like, right at 7 or whatever. We're like, okay, okay. And then, so we were the only ones on the tour. And he was like a 16-year-old high school kid who his mom was dropping him off. And his mom must have made him call to see if we were going to show up or not. But anyway, he was great. We went on a walk, and it was just a lovely walk. The rain... He liked that he kept scaring me because I kept getting scared by the dumb things, like a cat in a tree. Right. And then he had a a little ghost box to kind of help us communicate when we were in little hot spots, you know. And then I, I kept thinking, well, we were like, maybe that's his mom on the other end of the box trying to scare we us. We were speculating, maybe trying to debunk. We were again trying to debunk it. Not in front it. of him, because that would no, be No, later on, in private, we were debunking it, yeah. just like the ghost You don't want to disrespect your uh, ghost tour guy. No, 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 and so, he was very sweet. I don't know why. Um, we ran out of, uh, he ran out of ghost history material about 45 minutes into a two-hour tour, and... Uh, but he just kind of entertained us with stories about his friends in high school and stuff like that. It like was getting really... broken, like or like uh, like he's like, oh, I had a friend who broke his leg over here, so yeah. that happened. Yeah, and uh, so that he would always say, so that happened, and then you knew that was kind of the end of the like, story. My buddy goes, was so surfing happened. over there. There was a shark. The shark bit him, so that happened. 
So we nothing were, really scary, but kind of like yeah. life scary. It like it would like, be scary oh, to see a shark. It's or dangerous to be a little a ghost. kid swimming around here. But I still, it was very charming and lovely, and we we tipped him big because we were fans of him. Um, we, we made our trip great. So in one part, we were walking down this old banyan tree lined uh, street, um, and he was like, you know, it is said that uh, the goddess Pele uh, can be seen from time to time walking down the street and looking for a ride like hitchhiking and we were like huh that's so weird and it's you know what um can you describe her a little more and he was describing her and it was kind of like what the, we witnessed the woman we saw when we were on the other part of the island and from i was the like night market we were like that sounds exactly like that lady yeah. and i was like well but i thought so but the lady we saw um she wasn't wearing a red dress and and you know, I, I read that Pele wears a red dress, and, and he's like, no, Pele wears a white dress. And, like, and we oh. both, the blood ran out of our faces. We were just... And our oh. butts. <laughs> and, um, and our butts, too. And uh, so we um, were like, whoa, that's crazy. And then he's like, so, did you pick her up? And we are like, no way. Those, she was being super creepy, and no, no way. We're like, no, and it might have been someone in a cult. And, looking uh, for he's God. Like, he's like, <laughs> you should have picked her up. And then we were like, oh. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know. He what. said his uncle saw Pele one time and picked her up and had very good luck, and that she's supposed to give you good luck if you pick uh, her up. I mean, but I just don't know what happened. We didn't have bad luck. Like... Maybe we just had normal luck, but if we had picked her up, we would have had extra awesome luck. Take her to the grocery store or something? I I could just take her wherever she wants to go. And then I was like, well, maybe (sighs) still that was a person in a cult pretending to be Pele. Trying to lure us in. Trying to lure us in. Anyway, suffice to say, this mystery is... Both are scary This is a cold case that's yet to be solved for us. We just... uh, Think about it all the time. and, And it's... One of our favorite spooky tales. To tell at a party. Happy Halloween. Aloha. Aloha. So our last story is from a friend of mine. Her name is Haley Adams. She's a writer on Big Mouth. She's written for the Film Independent Spirit Awards. And she's also an incredible baker, just FYI. So for our last story, we're going to a very haunted dorm room in Maine. My name is Haley Adams, and this is my ghost story. My ghost story is about a haunted dorm in Gorham, Maine, called Roby Andrews. I lived in it my freshman and sophomore year of college. I say haunted with air quotes because, really, Roby Andrews was the art and theater student dorm, so there was a lot of dramatic, drug-fueled nights there. But there are a surprising number of people, mostly women, who lived there and came away with experiences. Pretty much everyone on campus has heard and for the most part believes that the dorm is haunted by a former student named Sarah. There are no known records of Sarah, of course, and after researching for the podcast, even the history of the building is tough to pin down. The building is made up of two wings, Roby and Andrews. Roby was built in 1897 and Andrews shortly thereafter. It was a dorm for a women's seminary school for a few decades, but the seminary closed and it was bought up by the university sometime in the middle of the 1900s. The Roby side of the building has a huge looming bell tower and a totally sealed off fourth floor attic. The ghost story has shifting details, but here's the version most people have heard. 
The dorms are haunted by a young girl named Sarah from the early 1900s. She was boarding at the seminary school away from her family, became pregnant out of wedlock, and was shunned and bullied by the other students, and then hung herself either in the attic or in the bell tower. The stories of Sarah's haunting go back for decades. When I was researching for this, I read local articles and some message boards and found comments from students as far back as the 1970s who said that the dorm was haunted when they were there. It always includes the same things, hearing dragging furniture in the rooms above them, having objects in the room be rearranged when they're not home, and sometimes seeing a girl in their room. The other common thread is that it almost always happens to women. I went to the University of Southern Maine and moved into Roby Andrews in 2007. I had roughly 2.5 experiences I would categorize as creepy and unexplained. When I moved in, I was really excited to be in a haunted dorm, and I loved the paranormal. And though I'm kind of skeptical, I thought it would be fun. And it wasn't unfun, but it was definitely unnerving. The first and by far the most unforgettable thing happened the very first night I moved in. I lived with this girl, Becky, who sucked. Becky was not her real name, but she did really suck. And we had a very clear half of the room situation. So I was trying to make my half feel as homey as possible, as quickly as possible. So the first night, I hung up six full-sized movie posters and arranged my bed to face this kind of large, old-fashioned, paned glass window. And we went to sleep probably around midnight that night. I woke up at 4 a.m., and every single poster that I had hung up had fallen down. They were on the floor, some of them were on top of me, but I hadn't woken up when they fell, they had just already fallen. And I remember thinking that that was really weird, and I could see like maybe one falling if there was like a loose tack in the wall, but all the posters was just bizarre to me. And I pushed, I pushed the posters off of me and decided I would deal with it in the morning. And I rolled over to face the wall and tried to go back to sleep. But I had this really unnerving sense that someone was watching me. While I was facing the wall, I heard footsteps moving through the room. And I figured it was Becky coming back from the bathroom. But the footsteps stopped at the foot of my bed. I rolled over and I opened my eyes and looked towards Becky across the room. And she was sleeping in her bed. I remember feeling just dread. I was sure that someone had broken in and was standing at the other side of the room. And I was too scared to move. But I finally looked, and at the foot of my bed, I saw a woman standing in a white nightgown. And she was in silhouette against the window. And she was perfectly still, and she was staring at me. And I sat up, and I started screaming. And it was gone. Uh, Becky woke up. She got the RA. I was too terrified to get out of bed. And the RA actually came and was going to file a report of a break-in. But then heard the details and said something like, Oh, the ghost stories gave you bad dreams. Always happens. Don't worry. And I didn't sleep for the rest of the night. I was too freaked out. And even shitty Becky, who also believed I was having a nightmare admitted that all the posters falling down was kind of too weird to explain. Not a lot happened to me after that, but just about everyone I knew had a story. 
the third floor girl side especially. And that was where the stairs to the attic that led to the bell tower were in the hallway. The attic was padlocked and bolted shut. Not like, haha, let's break in, look around, locked, but like sealed shut. It was totally inaccessible. But the people who lived directly underneath would hear dragging furniture above them late at night. And then the people who lived on the second floor would hear it too. There was one clear story my friend told me about how some girl came up from the second floor and banged on their door demanding that they stop moving furniture but was really freaked out when she realized that everyone had been asleep but she clearly had heard furniture dragging above her but no one was doing it. Another room said every time they would come home, papers would be moved, pictures would be rearranged, uh, their clothes would be moved across the room. Another room actually claimed that a book flew across the room while they were trying to study. And my friend Krista swears that while she was walking back to her room at 2 a.m., she saw a large white orb float up the stairs to the attic and pass through the door. But take that with a grain of salt, because Krista was really into robo-tripping that semester. My sophomore year, they opened up the attic for Halloween, and we were all really excited to get in there and see what was going on. They screened the exorcist on a big projector and laid pillows out all over the floor, and the whole thing was uneventful. But the attic was jarringly different from the rest of the building. Like, it clearly had barely been touched in the hundred-plus years since the building had been built. And that night was kind of boring. I did feel scared, but not because of anything in the attic, but just that we were all convinced the floor was going to give way because it was so old and dusty in there. But a couple of days later, something else did happen. It was the final encounter and a half I had with the Roby Andrews ghost. Our friend Kenny, a professional bagpipe player and all-around weird guy, had always claimed to be kind of clairvoyant. He had brought his Ouija board to my friend Joe's room, and about six of us gathered around it. We were trying to contact Joe's grandfather when Kenny suddenly changed tone and said, there's someone else here. He asked who... The board spelled out Sarah. Kenny asked who she wanted to talk to and why she was there, and she spelled out girls. Kenny asked why she only wanted to talk to girls, and she spelled out to hurt. I knew bagpipe Kenny was totally fucking around and moving the piece, but after what happened in my room the previous year, I felt kind of weird, and I left. And I came back to my new room, my sophomore year room, which had a better roommate, and it was in a different part of the building, and I tried to sleep, but I couldn't. And I kind of remember, like, tossing and turning, and I was thinking about bagpipe Kenny and the Ouija board, and I was wide awake and staring up at our ceiling where we'd had Halloween decorations still hung up, and it was four skeletons hanging from a coat hanger with dental floss as a noose, which is kind of tasteless for a dorm where a girl hung herself, um... But as I was looking at them hanging over me, the third skeleton in just started swinging on its own. And it could have been a draft, is what I told myself, but it was the only one moving in a row of four. And it looked like someone had picked it up, just that one, and dropped it and let it sway. I was totally frozen, and I called for my roommate, Monica. She didn't wake up. 
the skeleton kept swinging on its own. I took my pillow, I took a blanket, and I ran out of the room, and I slept in the extremely well-lit laundry room. The next morning, I took the skeletons down. I moved out that spring. I don't have any other encounters. The second one was not as scary as the first. But if you want to know more about the storm, you can Google Roby Andrews, Roby Andrews Haunted. It will bring up a lot of local articles, and it's on a lot of haunted places in Maine guide with a lot of other stories about it. But one kind of creepy note I'm going to close on is that while I was prepping to record this, I wanted to reach out to other Roby Andrews students to see if anyone could confirm the Sarah history or provide any details. So I kind of begrudgingly posted on Facebook asking anyone if they had any stories or information about it. And I got a lot of responses, mostly the same thing that I described. Sarah hung herself in the bell tower of the dorms. And the universal experiences of dragging furniture, rearranging pictures, all that stuff. But the thing that actually made me pause and kind of go cold were two comments. One from a woman who had been there in 2004 and another from a woman who lived there in 1985. Neither of them I know. Both describe waking up in the middle of the night and seeing a woman at the foot of their bed wearing a white nightgown. Really, the, the lesson is don't go to college. Don't go to college. Stay as far away from you can. Although I'm also really impressed by the amount that Haley has researched. Um, so enjoy it while you can, listeners, because we're getting back to ill-researched pieces very soon. And your cookies are very, very good. Yeah. Jason, I saved one for Jason. That's right. Yeah. I didn't tell him that it was yours, but he knew that quality cookies don't belong here usually. So he knew that it was yours. If you liked what you hear, we did. You can also share your stories with us. If you want to send in an audio file and be a part of the Ghost Town storytelling family, please do. You can send it to us at ghosttownpod at gmail. Um, you can, what else can, can I get to? You can just DM message us, us yeah, know. and, and ghosttownpod, and mm-hmm. we'll find a way for you to get us the file depending on how large the file yeah. is. We'll make it happen, and we'd like to do... More of these because I know you know people out there have real ghost stories yeah. to tell, and we'd like to hear it straight from the source. Exactly. I have never encountered a ghost, and I want it too badly. And so, can I live vicariously through your ghost stories, please? Yeah. So, happy Halloween, right? Happy Halloween, and to all a good night. That's not how it goes. Rebecca Sebastian, host of Dialogue. I'm also the creator and host of Yellow Tape, a true crime trivia show in New York City. In those live shows, I cover the who, what, and when of popular true crime cases, but I can't always deep dive the way I'd like to. That's where this podcast comes in. Dialogue picks up where Yellow Tape leaves off. Each week, I'll be interviewing professionals, podcasters, and players in the true crime space. We'll attempt to answer the why of true crime, why we love it, why it happens, and what are we even talking about when we talk about true crime? And yeah, we'll probably play some true crime trivia too. So, are you ready to explore the heart of true crime with me? I think we'll have a killer conversation. Be sure to subscribe to Dialogue on iTunes today and download the premiere episode of Dialogue wherever you listen to podcasts starting July 31st.